Our primary reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Would you listen now for the word of the Lord? Thus the heavens and earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all of the work, all of the creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. The word of the Lord. Have you noticed that we humans have a very fickle relationship with rest? Like, as soon as we're kids, we're against it. Like, rest is a punishment. Parents, you know, if you tried to put your kids down to bed early, like, they try to call the DSS on you. Um, Or in the case of my daughter, she actually has a very sophisticated multi-step strategy for delaying bedtime as long as possible. And even though she's sick, she is continually outsmarting me in this regard. So you would think then, as adults, we would have learned to appreciate rest. And yet our relationship with it gets even more dysfunctional. People talk about rest like a kind of reward, right? Like that you have to somehow earn the right to not be productive, Or there's those folks that like to brag about how tired they are. It's the fatigue Olympics, and whoever has the biggest bags under their eyes wins. Or new parents, you might have already learned this code. Even if your child is starting to sleep through the night and you're no longer delirious, you can't let anyone know that you're actually getting a full night of rest, right? It's got to be a secret. Why? Because, well, I suffered, and now you have to suffer as well. So, yeah. We have a fickle relationship to rest. We want it, but we're kind of ashamed to get it. We we want it, but we're not even quite sure what constitutes rest. Is binge watching Netflix rest? Is the new TikTok trend of bed rotting? Is that rest? And then you throw in like religious stuff. And what does church have to do with a day of rest? That's not really restful. I think if we want to better understand the nature of rest, it will help us to understand how rest fits into the fabric of God's creative work. So this morning I want to kind of address three sub-questions. One, what does rest say about God? Two, how has rest been purposed by God? And three, how does rest point us to God? So first, what does rest say about God? In our reading in Genesis, our series today, we have come to the seventh day of creation. Our reading in first, verse one concludes, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. God has not only called everything God has made successively good, But as an integrated whole of ecosystems and solar systems, God has called it very good. Elohim, the God of gods, the creator, has finished creating. 
Now, as we mentioned earlier in this series, Genesis 1 is anti-mythical. It doesn't follow the same tropes as other pagan creation stories. But if that's true, that makes verse 2 then feel a little bit out of place. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God takes a break. But you've got to ask yourself, why does God take a break? Is God tired? Does God need a nap? This may feel oddly anthropomorphic. For us, that is, God seems a little too much like humans here. But here's why the ancient Hebrew people included this. In other ancient Near East religions, the gods also rested from their work of creation, but for a different reason. The pagan deities rest because now they have humans to be their slaves. But the Hebrews, again, want to tell a better story about who God really is. Elohim is wholly self-sufficient. Elohim doesn't need us humans to serve or be slaves. So why does God rest then? God rests So that those who are made in the image of God, who do need literal rest, can know that rest is good. Rest is not a reward. It is a requirement for our flourishing. Because we see rest practiced by God during the seven days of creation, we can know that it is also built into the fabric of what it means to be human. Not only that, but consider how revolutionary this was given the context. Now remember, we we take for granted that we have this two-day weekend. That's just our fact of life. Thank you, unions, right? But but when the Hebrews first started talking about this seven-day week calendar, there were some civilizations that had a seven-week calendar based off of the 28-day lunar cycle. But there was not a single civilization that gave you a day off. There was no day of rest. You worked every day. You were slaves to the gods and the kings and your masters. But the Sabbath, even for the poorest person, was as the Jewish theologian Abraham Heschel called, a palace in time. This seventh day of creation laid the theological groundwork for political reform. And so if that's true, what does that say about God? That even though God has no needs, the creator is deeply concerned with the needs of creation. And this is just as applicable today as it was then. Now remember, we don't have a pantheon of cult gods anymore, but we do have a pantheon of modern gods. Capitalism, consumerism, nationalism, etc., etc., on and on. These things want your loyalty, 
They will enslave you if you give them the chance, but they don't care about you. They don't care about your needs. They don't care about your future. Capitalism will use you until you burn out or die, and then it will replace you by Monday morning at 9 a.m. Consumerism's altar is fueled off endless cycles of ego and insecurity and enslaving people to debt. Nationalism will have you hate the immigrant who is made in the image of God but isn't bothered at all that we are the worst of all developed countries in terms of infant mortality. Those gods are vampires. And though they are desperate for your blood, they need you to survive. They do not care about you. And yet Elohim, the God of gods, is the opposite. God doesn't need you. And yet God cares deeply for you. And so if this God cares about our rest, and rest is part of us being made in the image of God, how are we supposed to rest? This is our second question. How has rest been purposed by God? Let's look at our first half of verse three. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. First, how do we know that rest is part of God's purpose? Because God made the seventh day holy. And what does holy mean? For something to be holy simply means that it, it, it is taken apart and used for a special purpose. And if that's true, it is possible for us to either rest well or either rest poorly based on how much we experience the purpose of rest. Now, for us modern Western individualists, this might rub us a little bit the wrong way at first, right? We're like, well, who is anyone to tell me how I should rest? I should be able to rest any way I please, okay? But if you think it might be odd that rest has an objective purpose, just consider your diet. We are made to eat, right? But the purpose of what we eat is not simply caloric intake, it's health. I can eat junk food all day and say that I ate, but I'm not contributing much to my health. Likewise, God has put a purpose in rest that guides us in how to rest. So let's look at the second half of verse three to see how. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, in the ancient Near East, the pagan cult deities needed physical temples for rest. The Babylonian god Marduk was said to have humans built him a tower in the capital city. But even this week in India, the Hindu nationalist prime minister, Nihendra Modi, celebrated the consecration of a controversial new Hindu temple to the god Ram. Why was it so controversial? Well, because it was built on the site of an erased Islamic mosque, which caused a riot that killed over 2,000 people. 
But Modi was very proud of this temple and said that it took countless sacrifices to be built. And he kind of seemed to spike the football when he announced, Our Lord Ram has arrived after centuries of wait. That is, Lord Ram can now finally rest within the temple, metaphorically on this grand throne that was built for him inside. But in verse 3 of Genesis, we see another contrast. The Hebrew word here for work means craftsmanship. It's highly skilled work. In fact, it's the same word used to describe the work of two architects that were involved in making the very first tabernacle of God for the Hebrew people. It's as if on the seventh day, God is stepping back from all that he has skillfully and artfully made. As if God has created a tabernacle, a temple for God's self. But instead of a building, it's the whole universe. God is not waiting on any human actor in order to enter into rest. God's true temple is the cosmos itself. And so on the seventh day, what does God do in the rest? God appreciates the grandeur. God revels in the beauty. God delights in the sheer glory of everything. This is how God rests. And so as image bearers of God, this is meant to guide us in our rest. Rest has been purposed by God to make us personally joyful and mindfully aware of existence around us. That the measure of healthy rest can be that I can appreciate the work that I've accomplished that I can revel in the blessings that I've been given, that I can delight in my life just a little bit more, and that I've increased my capacity. I've expanded my bandwidth for caring about the needs of others just as God has cared about my needs. So what does that mean? It means that healthy rest can look different for each one of us. How you rest and how I rest is gonna be different depending on our temperaments, our interests, our hobbies, our stressors, etc. But however we rest, whatever we do to rest should make us both more joyful and mindful. So could that be a long walk across the beach? Of course. Could that be a glass of wine and cuddling with your partner? Definitely. Could that be binging Netflix and laying in bed so long until your sheets absorb your body odor? Probably not. But you do the diagnostic. Does it increase your personal joy and your mindfulness of others' needs? And if this is the purpose of rest, it makes so much more sense of what Jesus tells the crowds in the Gospel of Matthew from our first reading this morning. Let's go back to it. 
Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see, when Jesus mentions a yoke, he's talking about the collection of teachings that a rabbi would offer their disciples. My disciples have these practices. My disciples obey this yoke. And so Jesus is saying, in contrast to other yokes, mine is easy. Those yokes will exhaust you. I will give you rest. And I think this is important for some of us to to see because I think many of us, our understanding of religion, even Christianity, is this idea that it's just a list of rules and behavioral modifications. If you're a conservative, you need to be a, a morally upright person. If you're more progressive, you need to be an ethically conscious person. But that can only pendulum swing in two ways. Either I'll be prone to arrogance and judgmentalism because I think I'm meeting all the requirements, or I'll be prone to insecurity and shame because I think I'm failing them. Either way, it is exhausting. And either way, It's a heavy yoke. But Jesus wants to offer you something different than exhausting religion. He wants to offer you a simple yoke that leads to rest. And a rest that what? Increases your personal joy and your mindfulness of others. But how can Jesus really offer this? Right? Like if someone came to me and said, Colin, I'd like to offer you some rest, they'd be like, wonderful, where is your timeshare in the Caribbean? How can Jesus legitimately offer rest? You see, I, I like that Jesus is offering us fewer rules than other religions, but that doesn't necessarily equate to the rest that God has made us for. And this brings us to our third and last question. How does rest point us To God. In Matthew chapter 11, we do see that Jesus offers us rest. But in Matthew chapter 12, the very next story from our first reading, we see how Jesus can offer rest. It's this account of a conflict between Jesus' disciples and some religious leaders, after they see the disciples plucking grain from the side of the road. Now, why is that a problem? Because it's on the Sabbath, the day on the Jewish calendar that marked the seventh day of creation. That was the day meant for rest. And so the religious leaders accused Jesus' disciples of breaking the Sabbath. No roadside snacks allowed. And of course, this is pretty petty, right? But this is what man-made religion does. It's a vampire as well, by the way. It doesn't care about people. It misses the point. 
But Jesus doesn't just say they don't get the point of the Sabbath. He he doesn't say they don't just get the point of rest. Instead, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, this divine Jewish title, and then declares this about himself. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus doesn't just say, I can interpret the Sabbath. Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. In fact, in the Greek, there is no the in front of the word Sabbath. Jesus simply says, I am Lord of Sabbath. I am Lord of rest. This is how the seventh day of creation, the rest that God made us for, actually points us to God. You see, the physical rest that we all struggle to experience points us to a deeper spiritual rest that so many of us also struggle to experience. That's why so many of us feel like our hearts are restless. But the good news is that the Sabbath isn't just a day. It's a person. Jesus can offer you rest because Jesus is true rest itself. The same God who worked to make the heavens and the earth and the vast array of everything in the cosmos is the same God who cares about you enough to live, die, and rise again so that you might experience the rest that you were made for. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Colin, whenever you were preaching, I was thinking about my aura ring tracks my stress levels throughout the day, and it calls rest restorative time. Oh, restore. I like that. That, That's very biblical. Yeah. I need one of those. (laughs) All right. The ancient Hebrews put this in because... That's what you said. Did it happen or is it just a story? Okay, yeah. So the way the Hebrews are primarily doing Genesis is they are taking existing creation stories that already exist that are written by the pagans and they are rewriting them in order to say something different about God. So did, it, did God actually rest? Probably not, right? Like, did God actually at some point create and then stop creating? Yes, that part's true. But the key part of these stories is that they are repurposed from the, typically the Babylonians. There's some evidence of the Egyptians, a few others. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a polemic, it's a rewrite. And so we should try, I know it's hard for us as moderns to go, did it happen or not? It's just not the question that they're working through. They're asking, what is the character and nature of God compared to other religions? All right, I'm curious if you think it's necessary to do the rest all day on Sunday, or can it be broken up on various days of the week? Okay, so fun fact, right? The Sabbath isn't Sunday, right? Sabbath is Saturday. Uh, Sunday is, is the day that Christians said, well, Jesus was resurrected on a Sunday, so we're going to celebrate that day, and eventually we, right, again, it blurs into, we get a weekend, right? And so do you have to celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday? I, I don't think so because it's not even the original Sabbath. So do you have to do it on Saturday? I don't think so. I think the key part is, do you have a sacred that is very a purposeful time 
in which you are getting the purpose of rest, that the experience of rest is that it brings joy in your life and makes you more mindful. Are you setting aside time to effectively accomplish that? If you need to do a day, great. If you can do it in half a day, all right, great. If you need to split it up over like Sunday, you know, Saturday, and then half of Sunday, cool. But are you taking that time to create sacred time in your life somewhere during your week? All right, it seems that God rests only after he has finished his work because he has finished his work. Does this mean that God earned his rest? If not, how did he know his work was finished? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. Ooh, I don't, I don't even know. I, I'm going to have to talk more about that on Monday. So yeah, okay. yeah. Is, did God finish? He's like, okay, this is officially done. Mm-hmm. Like, let's, let's move on. Or it's like, I'm out of time. We're, we've done six days. And so, yeah, yeah um, I, I think it is the, I mean, we are the capstone of creation, right? Again, as we talked about, we're not like the most important thing of creation, but integrated, we kind of fill all God's things. So God looks at it and he sees the integrated nature of it. And he also has an, ex- an expression of the Trinitarian love, which is us. And so God goes, yeah, this is good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work with this and now I, I, I can rest. But I'm going to think more about that. Like, how did God know God yeah. was done? That's yeah. a good question. Excellent question. And y'all sent in some more really excellent questions. So follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Colin will address them tomorrow. Awesome. Thanks, Sam.